Um, in my mind, I think that church is kind of like when the football team is playing on the field. That happens during the week. The troops come on in for a halftime speech by the coach. And God, through his word, allows me to be the mouthpiece. And sometimes that coach will give a word of encouragement. Say, good job, keep it up. Sometimes that, that coach will give a word of strategy. You, you got to do this and don't do that. Today, the coach says, what's at stake if we lose? And he wants you to have laser focus on the fact that you can win this with the strength of Jesus. You should win this looking at him, but you best not lose. And so with that, let's continue. One of the things I've recognized about walking with people is that you cannot fully love someone without warning them of danger. Uh, that's the first takeaway. You cannot fully love someone without warning them of what was going on. I recognize this in our trip to the Ukraine. Um, we're we're going to have more presentations about what it was. And I talked with a wonderful man. His name is Bishop Slavic. Uh, here he is showing Dan and, and us uh, the oldest church in the Ukraine. This is uh, Sophia, built in the 1000s AD. Pretty impressive. Um, and as he was telling us many things, one of the stories he told me was of a trip with his wife to Miami Beach. I don't know how many of you have ever been. Uh, Miami Beach, Florida, a beautiful place uh, if you've been there, uh, great oceanside. And he still remembers how he was wondering why no one else was swimming in the water. Everyone else was out there on the beach, but no one was in the water, but he and his wife wanted to go out in the ocean, so they did. And, and while they're in the, the water, they're wondering, man, why, is, why isn't there a single person in these waters? You guys have any guesses why no one was in the water that day? There were shark. Yes, sharks. And, and, uh, and he found out this later after he had been in the water, and, and he wondered, you know, about American culture. He thought that Americans just were not very friendly. For them to know that there were sharks in the water, but watch them just playing out there is not a very nice thing to do because if you truly love someone, you're going to share a word of warning. Uh, which is why um, in the Black Sea there are jellyfish. This is all little jellyfish and big jellyfish. If I was about to jump in there and they didn't tell me about that, I would be likewise saying, how friendly are you really? Have you noticed this in your personal relationships? It starts, I think, at a young age with kids. Um, parents, when they see toddlers messing around with stuff they shouldn't mess around with, should not stand idly by. If they are uh, playing with the oven, you know, knobs and the gas is turning on without being lit, you're hopefully not going to just watch that go on. If they have a pen and, and now they're getting close to an electric socket and they're wondering, does this go there, you're hopefully not going to watch them figure that out. You're going to say something. In fact, even in our adult relationships, we figured this out. That maybe in an acquaintance, I might not warn them, oh, you want to buy a $60,000 car and you work at McDonald's. Okay. Uh, you might not say anything, but if you have a good, good friend who you're walking with and you care about, you might say certain things. In fact, maybe some adults have signed up for a fight, even though your heart was for trying to help them. You've been there. Because, again, you can't love someone without warning them of danger. You just can't. In fact, Scripture reveals this. Uh, look at this Scripture. I love this because here's another Scripture I just don't think many Christians know about. James 5 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth 
and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. Will that have been worth it? I think so. Will a church sometimes confront people who are found in sin? Will a church sometimes find a heavy truth that has to be laid down? I think so. In fact, if you don't have that perception about your church experience, I'm not sure what you're expecting because love says not only words of encouragement but also words of warning. But even Christians are confused on this uh, because what's most popular is them taking out of context Jesus' words, don't judge, don't you know you shouldn't judge, don't judge, don't judge, which whenever you hear that, they're usually using it saying, please don't look at my life. Now, we've had other series exploring the don't judge, but uh, let me uh, reconfirm this one. Uh, In the context, why he says don't judge is don't be holier than thou. Don't act as if they have all the problems and you have none. He goes on to say, before you focus on that speck, take out the plank from your eye. Make sure you're not coming at it saying that they need help, but you don't. That's the only context for the don't judge, right? But over and over, he says, yes, if a brother sins against you, show him their fault so that you can continue in a relationship after having been forgiven and then reconciled rather than letting that fault get in the way. Even in the book of Jude, another word you probably haven't heard, Jude says, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So as we're waiting for him, keep in God's love, how do you do that? Be merciful to those who doubt and save others by snatching them from the fire. Are you convinced again that to warn someone is to actually maybe be the most loving we could possibly be in an age that says you have no right to do that, but God says we do? So you're ready for the warning. All right. Let's get into the Word of God. And Again, I love this series called Edge of Heaven because I I think that the devil's strategy so often in our lives is to get us so wrapped up with the minutia of our, our daily life that we lose perspective on what eternity will be like. And so today we're going to look at the two different destinies that are described in the Bible. We're going to look not only on the glories of heaven, which is our encouragement for all who believe, but we're going to be honest about the horrors of hell. And and something that you're going to need to do, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie that you needed to really hang on every word to stay with it. It's that kind of movie today. Um, I have so many cross-references of Scripture to try to, de- to, to expose Revelation here that if you're not in it, um, you're, you're going to not get the truth. And so um, you have the right to pinch your neighbor if you f- find them falling asleep. Um, you have the right to wake them up and shake them. I'm just kidding about that. Do whatever is appropriate. Uh, but you're going to need to stay in this because of all the Scripture laden in the truths we're going to talk about. Make sense? You ready for this challenge? It's a good word. So from Revelation chapter 14, you won't stand so long reading, it's fine, uh, so let me get into it here. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. If you were here last time, one of the goals of end times is that this gospel would share to every people, to every tribe, to every language. The gospel of Jesus will remain. To every nation, tribe, language, and people, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
which made all the nations drink maddening wine of her adulteries. Uh, Some say this is just the influence of a sinful world. Uh, It finally will come to an end at the great judgment, the influence of a sinful world. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury. Who are those people? Um, Whoever worships the beast and its image, those who are against the church of God, who have rejected Jesus, what we refer to in general as unbelievers, apostates, and those who attack the church, those who radically oppose the church, um, along with all unbelievers. They will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. So what does this call for? This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, Blessed though, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their label, for their deeds will follow them. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man with a crown of gold on his head. Do you know who this is? This is Jesus. This is very clearly Jesus, often referred to in the New Testament, Son of Man, and again, the King forever. A sharp sickle in his hand, then another angel came out. A sickle, by the way, is something used for harvesting, uh, something lost in our city culture. Um, and they called out in a loud voice, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. This talks about him harvesting the wheat, which is a sign of believers and those who will go to heaven. Another angel came out in the temple of heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because the grapes are white. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. That's an equivalent of 200 miles. And now you know. Did I get it right? Is this a word that you've heard preached on before? If you've ever heard this preached on before, raise your hand. Okay, okay. But it's a rare word, and it's a word that I think is desperately needed. Could you comfort those sitting next to you, though, and say, it's not scary when you have the Savior? It's not scary when you have the Savior. So let's talk more about the Word of God. So eternity is pretty long. And I don't know the last time you've tried to equivocate eternity compared to 80 years. Um, Francis Chan did it remarkably through a rope illustration. Um, I will not use that rope illustration today, um, but suffice it to say uh, that when we compare 80 years to eternity, um, this time is but a drop in the bucket. Uh, Whether it be our adolescence, the prime of our life, or even our retirement, which many are focused on, We are just not here 
that long. To understand our lives here rightly, we would say uh, with, with everyone that, that our time is short, right? Uh, this is what we recognize. And it's that perspective on eternity that shapes what we say and what we consider today to be so important. For if our earthly existence is so short and our eternity lasts forever and ever beyond comprehension and much longer than we usually think about, then we cannot afford to lose. We cannot afford to get this life wrong when it affects everything that's coming our way. The reason this matters and, and what we'll talk about is now a view of hell and a view of heaven. When it comes to a view of hell, consider what culturally is around. Culturally, people that I talk to in general have the idea that it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter what you believe because we're all going to heaven anyway. It's the hidden assumption of many people who don't want to be frank and honest with the sins that they know they have committed. In fact, when a survey was done, Pew Research came out with the latest survey, and they said that only 58% of people believe in a hell. 34% don't believe in it at all, 7 or 8 are indifferent or don't know. Mark Twain also has a weird view on hell. Mark Twain, known as a Presbyterian but maybe questioned his faith at a later time, uh, gave us this view of heaven and hell. He said, go to heaven for the climate and hell for the company. And that is culturally where I find ourselves, right? Um, in fact, when doing research on views of hell, I found a band called the Dead South that has a song, and I don't know if it's any good, that says, in hell I'll be in good company, right? And so there is this popular opinion uh, that because hell is filled with all the rebels and the wild hearts, that somehow it's going to be a really good time. At least I'll know people there. In fact, uh, be because of the society we live in, I was doing some more internet trolling, I found that Satan has a Twitter handle. I'm not sure who's behind this. Uh, but on Satan's Twitter handle is this. Let's be honest, hell sounds a lot more fun than heaven. Now, can you relate to this? Have you had these conversations? I know I can. And the reason this word that we consider today is so needed is because when God talks about hell, of which he does often, Jesus' main subject material is on hell. He does not have any of this sense. He does not give any of this impression. Let me consider with you again these words. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out in the full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. This is literal fire and brimstone preaching. That not I made up, but that Jesus says through his disciple John, you need to consider this. Please watch out. Because you do not know God if you do not know the seriousness with which he takes our sin. Sin is so serious, we saw what it happened and what it led to when it came to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ. Crucifixion. I've only watched it once because I didn't want to watch it again. I got the point. 
But why is it so brutal and why is it so gruesome? Because the God of justice says sin needs satisfaction. And the reality is either Jesus can pay for your sin or you will forever take your choice. Let me say it again. Either Jesus can pay for your sin or you will forever take your choice. What's interesting is that right now we are living in the realm of his mercy. Right now he shows mercy in the form of kindness by bringing crops out of the ground, by supplying the needs both for believers and unbelievers, that they might turn to him and live. Some have disassociated his mercy with him being a cosmic genie, and that has gotten it wrong, friends. He's not a genie, but he is trying to show us mercy based on all the good that he gives. Right now, his mercy is kind of understood by those who don't use their full strength. In New Lenox, here's my attempt to keep it light, uh, there is a, a basketball camp with Dwayne Wade, and one year they brought Devin Hester. Love having professionals around. But my mind went to this idea. Let's say the kids were scrimmaging with Dwayne Wade on the court and Devin Hester on the field. What if they used all of the strength and ability that they had? What if they didn't remember these were just kids and Dwayne Wade started dunking and pushing and boxing out? What if it wasn't Devin Hester but Khalil Mack who showed up on the scrimmage field now across from a teenager and is going to show form tackling for everyone to see? That's not going to be so pretty. What's interesting about the word we consider is that there will come a day when God no longer shows mercy, but exacts his full strength over every wrong that has ever done, and he gives us a picture of what full strength looks like. He says when it comes to the full strength, they were trampled in the wine press outside the city. The blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. This is a picture of unbelievers he's trampling forever, whose blood rises to the point of a horse's bridle, and he does it with such force that when he pounds on them, their blood shoots as far as here to Indianapolis. Thus saith the Lord. If you don't believe me about hell, at least believe Jesus. For in a cursory study of the New Testament, here's what Jesus says. Jesus teaches on the rich man and poor Lazarus, the sheep and the goats, which we read, the wheat and the weeds. He talks in the Beatitudes, it's better to avoid sin to such a degree that you'd cut off part of your body, that's hyperbole, uh, but do whatever you can to avoid hell. He tells his disciples, don't be afraid of persecution here on earth, be afraid more of how this might affect you eternally, both soul and body and hell. He talks about the road that is wide to destruction and narrow to eternal life. Now this is not meant to be an exhaustive study on the, the doctrine of hell. This is just a cursory overview, but hopefully you can see this is not what pastor is somehow uh, bringing up or showing you, but it's something that Jesus was not afraid to teach on regularly with all its finality and fullness. And so what do we learn? Hell is real. It is forever. And it is remarkably not fun, and that is euphemistic. Hell is real. It is forever. And it is remarkably not fun. 
how you doing? What's interesting is that many people then say, well, how does this correlate with his amazing love? Can God even be a God with amazing love if this is all true? Reading commentary, uh, Sigbert Beckert, he said this, men protest again and again that such punishment is incompatible with the love and the mercy of God. I would say the same. I have found in my experience this teaching rubs people the wrong way because they try to parallel the teachings of both love and all of this punishment and they don't know what to do. So let me appeal to God's justice. God cannot be a just God unless he finds satisfaction for the penalty of sin. And let me say it again, either Jesus can pay that penalty or you will have to forever. He is a just God. Another thing we learn about his heart is this. Ezekiel tells us, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Rather, that people would repent. And repentance simply means changing your mind. Would you change your mind over what's coming? Would you change your mind over again how we get to heaven? Would you change your mind and cling to the Lord? Because though this is a hard word, it kind of acts like a chemo treatment. If you're in starting point with me, sometimes I bring this up. That if we would come forward and we say, hey, amazing love, we have this chemotherapy treatment and it works 100% of the time for any cancer. If you come in and you don't have cancer, how much do you want chemotherapy? Probably don't want it, right? Doesn't matter how well it works. Whereas if you are dying and it's stage four and we have a cure that works 100% of the time, how much do you want that cure? I want to tell you we have a cure. I want to tell you now about the better blood of Jesus Christ. See, the blood of Jesus was shed for us on the cross. And that blood is of priceless worth. In fact, in Ephesians it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Right now, friends, You have the right to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Though the wrath of God is real, you fear it not at all. Because he paid for every sin. Because he loved you enough to satisfy what was required. And salvation, it is true, it is real, and it is here in the name of Jesus Christ. Who loved you enough to bear the full wrath of God over the sins of the world once and for all so that there could be deliverance and a better day. And it doesn't matter if this is the first time you've heard it or the thousandth time you've heard it. It is your right to be saved. It is your right to have peace. It is your right to be restored by the blood of Jesus Christ which washes you clean. And I'm here to tell you that. Because in Revelation chapter 7, it also showed us a different picture. It showed us a picture of my friends at Amazing Love who cling to the blood of Jesus Christ. And of them, it is shown this. 
that these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb that is you and that is me in Christ Jesus. We are spotless in the eyes of our Father. We do not fear Him. Rather, we live in love and perfect love dries out any fear. And you know what? We can talk about hell all day long because I'm not going there and neither are you by the grace of God. We do not fear it. You are a son and a daughter. You have that right. And though it was free for us, it was not free. Jesus paid a great price for you, and he paid it once and for all. And so what we do is we rely in the blood of Jesus to satisfy the wrath of God. And we don't worry. And you don't leave today in fear. Because you know Jesus' blood covers you, any and all. This is not about your performance, but his for you. And can I tell you of a different destiny? See, I'm also compelled by eternity because I know what is coming. And I've told the kids that pastor is Greek for being a party animal. I just know where the party is. And, and I need to tell you about heaven because there's a lot of bad cultural views on heaven. I don't know if it was the Far Side cartoons who brought it up, but we are not chubby cherubs on, on clouds playing harps. That's not in the Bible. You're also not, you know, some spiritual orb that has no body and this weird kind of floating ghosting existence, you know, that, that you don't even know what to do with. That's not in the Bible. Heaven is not like the worst form of praise. I don't know if you've been to a church service where it wasn't really your song selection. It, it's not some, like, boring experience where you're going to have to pinch yourself to stay awake because you can't handle the music. Can I tell you what heaven is? It's the new heavens and the new earth that God has been preparing that you get to explore for age upon age upon age. And if you're wowed by any beauty of creation, I tell you what, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the glories of what he is preparing for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not a chubby cherub. You'll have a body that has been raised with a different type of glory and splendor. What was sown perishable is raised imperishable. You will be identifiable along with those who you've lost in the Lord and love, and they will know your name, they will recognize you. You won't even feel bad about how you look because vanity and shame and everything else that, that hinders us will be taken away forever, and you're just going to be good in your own skin now and forever. And you're going to be enveloped in a type of love that drives out any fear, that drives out any disturbance in the force. The relationships you will have, you will not have to work on. You will not have to say that any good marriage takes hard work. You will just experience what it is to be encouraged by others who love you completely and truly and who never get it wrong. And that's all flowing from our relationship of Jesus Christ who authored a perfect love. I don't know about you, but I want to be there like yesterday. And so heaven is real. And Jesus also pictures this in the words he has for us. He pictured it in these words. He said, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, why? They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow. I cannot wait 
for that kind of rest. To talk about that, it reminds me of, again, if you'll permit me, a, a mission trip illustration. In the Ukraine, they are at war, and one of the prayers we had in Ivanica is just that God would spare the lives of the sons and the fathers who are at war. And one of the reasons there isn't male leadership in the church is because most of the males are serving in the army. They have to serve at least two years. It's a force thing equivalent to our draft. And so you can imagine how they hope for peace. You can imagine the mothers and the wives who are hoping that their sons and their husbands are coming home. And you can imagine how glorious that peace would be for them to not live in fear or threat of war any longer. In America, we had pictures of what peace looks like. An iconic picture of that piece is a man who stole a kiss. I'm not sure what the girl felt about it, but, but it's a picture of how good peacetime is. It's a picture of how great it is when war is finally over and I don't have to fear anymore. And this is what God is picturing for us. See, as long as we are on earth, the church fathers have often compared uh, the Christians on earth to the church militant. That you and I, whether you know it or not, are at war every day that you live. You're at war against your sinful nature, which always wants to bring you down into the wrong thing. You are at war against the devil who is real and who tries to attack. If you don't believe in the devil, try to serve the Lord. Um, you are at war with the world. The world will continue to give you views and opinions and voices that contradict the very clear words of God. You're at war with the effects of sin. Whether it be how your body feels, whether it be the state of your relationships or finances, you, my friends, believe it or not, are at war. So how great is the day when the war ends? What I know is that heaven is a place where what troubles you troubles you no more. Can you see it? I'm in year 37, but I can't wait to year 37,000 when I've lived thousands of years in perfect harmony with my neighbor. Thousands of years never having a bodily ache or pain. I cannot wait for thousands of years of understanding a perfect love and having it flow out in everything I see and do that is yours and mine in Christ Jesus. How amazing. So what do we do with this word? You know, one of the encouraging things if you've been serving the Lord for a while, it talks about patient endurance. And I don't know how you get patient endurance if you stop thinking about what's coming. Why else would you do this or be in the Lord? So, so I love it because of what it does to give me patient endurance because I know it's going to happen forever. But what is some homework that we might go out and do? Well, um, one final topic of Ukraine, and that is the Ukrainian culture of driving. Now, driving is a, a hoot in the Ukraine. Um, that's putting it lightly. Um, imagine roads that have potholes that haven't been fixed in 20 years. Uh, you just have, like, jagged edges of concrete. You have holes the size of your car. Um, in fact, they have a joke that drunk driving in America leads to swervy driving. 
drunk driving in Ukraine leads to driving straight because that will just suck your car all in. Um, and, and, and while they're driving, what, what I appreciate is their cultural kindness. For example, they flash their lights to let someone in. And then they have a thank you sign. Uh, to say thank you, uh, they, they put their hazards on. And the reason I appreciate that is because in Chicago, that hasn't been my experience. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the things I also do is that whenever they see a police officer, uh, they flash their brights uh, to let you know that a police officer is coming up, and so you better be on your best behavior. Um, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, that kind of warning. And so as we go forward, knowing what God has clearly revealed, what do we do with this word? We end where we began. I'm not sure we can truly love someone without flashing the lights and giving them a warning. And I do believe it's appropriate then if we just warn others of what is coming eternally. That one of the reasons I'm propelled to be an outreach pastor and being in the community and invite people to church is because of the love of God, yes, for sure. It is because of the glory of heaven, yes, for sure. But also what is compelling me is that there is no one I have met so far that I want to have experience what we've been talking about today. There's not a single person, uh, there's not my worst enemy that I want to experience what God is talking about today. And so be compelled to warn out of love what God has clearly revealed to us today. And be at peace because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered you and we look forward to that destiny, that glory of heaven How awesome in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.